And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Well, 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 welcome to Down on the Docks, episode 47. My name is Chris Neff, and I'm joined as always by my friend, co-host, producer, Dave Sarah. How are you, dude? Hello. Buddy, a lot of chatter over uh, the double dip we did over the last two weeks. Double dip ruse, dude. <laughs> what, was, I don't, what are we talking about? We're talking... <laughs> <laughs> what double dip are we doing? We're talking about episodes 45 oh, 46. and 46. And we're back. Of Identical Strangers. Yeah, great. Lots of interesting feedback. So I almost watched it. Oh, you didn't watch it? Nah. I don't think you're ever going to watch one. Nah. Oh, so man. Either. If there was one doc that you want to watch... It's this week's. Okay. Oh, this week's. I rarely do this. Yes. This is in my top 10. <laughs> I just realized what the yeah. name of it is right now. Of course you did. You Baba. begged. Um, this, before we get into it, I'm just going to preface it by telling you, this is one of my favorite docs of all time. It's in my wow. top 10. How many times have you seen it? Probably 30 times. Is that an exaggeration? Probably. Okay. More like 15. Okay. But I really love the documentary. Yeah. So um, just in an advance warning, this will be another two-part episode. Uh, but before we get in to yeah. this week's episode, mm -hmm. Dave, why don't you let us know? By the way, I don't know if our listeners have noticed the last two weeks. Yeah. We forget to do our spots <laughs> at the top of the show. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do things properly. And uh, by the way, I don't think we get paid for the last two weeks because we didn't put the sponsor <laughs> at oh, the no. top of the show. Gotta, anyway, I need my sticky strips. Anyway, go ahead and tell our listeners who this week's episode is sponsored by. This week's episode of Down in the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms. Established in 2016, San Diego. By the way, Broccoli Farms 619 on Instagram. Mm-hmm. San Diego, California by Candace entrepreneur Anthony Bird, our friend Anthony. Nice guy. Never met him. Great guy. Never met him. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. How many times did I say cannabis in that sentence? Three, four, maybe four, five. Four. I think four times. You know what? That's also my fault. The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego, bar none. Did we ever ask what bar none came from? We didn't find. We never found out. It's okay. That's a really good question. We'll look that one up. Yeah, it's probably a last name. <laughs> it's not B Barnan. It's not. It's really not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farms one of the funnest and best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. They're fun, dude. Yeah, I know they Fucking are. Fun. Yeah, they got a wide range of uh, inventory, and I've seen some of their products, and they do look pretty entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. Okay. All right. Well, fuck that pussy with FTPs. All right. Along with gifts and rewards, use down on the docks pod for 15% off. Okay. Make sure and DOCS, drop, baby. drop DOCS in there. And as always, Instagram, Dave, Broccoli it, Farm 619 we and Dave.Sarah. We make this announcement every week, but it's very important. Guys, we feel your support. We feel your love, especially in the Discord, especially with your retweets. Yeah. 
Uh, if Yoshi's you wanna... lit. We're still not sure if he's AI, AI yet. <laughs> Yoshi is not AI. Uh, if you want to meet some of our new friends, feel free to jump into the Down on the Docks Discord. Uh, find us on uh, Twitter at Down on the Docks and find us on uh, Instagram at Down on the Docks Pod. And more importantly, more. if you love the show or yes. even if you don't like it, your reviews help us tremendously. So go into Apple Pod, drop a five-star review. And of course, Spotify, you can rate and review uh, episodes individually. So we would much appreciate that. And you don't have to say uh, Dave Sarah sucks. If you yeah, no, you do. <laughs> you could. That's the best part. If you have something positive say to say about stinks. the show, you know what? You can combine it. Say Dave sucks. Chris is awesome. No. I'm a fan of the show. Whatever it takes, we appreciate it. Yeah. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Okay. Like I said. Yes. You know me. Deep waters, Papa. Buddy, I love semen. Oh, yeah. Okay. Me semen too. stories. Um, Spit or swallow. I'm talking about sailors, buddy. Oh, no. This this uh, film, Deep Water. I spit. Was released in 2006 <laughs> and directed by Louise Osmond and Jerry Rothwell. Oh, they're related to the other Osmonds. Uh, Marie and Donnie? Yeah. Good question. Um, All right. We need to do a doc about them one day. You, there is one. Is it good? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, no. But I could track it down. Okay. Wait, let's wait till I die. Wait till you die? They, they die. Oh, nah. I'd prefer to talk about them while they're still alive. Okay. I don't want to bring anybody down. Never this speak This episode of the is dead. a little bit of a downer, by really? the way. Really? Yeah. But so, that's is it about sharks? There is one shark. Wow. Now, here's the thing Name the water. The shark isn't going to come in until part two okay. of this episode. Okay. So I will tease you. There is a shark, yes. but you're not going to hear about him until uh, right. part two. Deep water. Let's okay. go. Okay. Deep water. This film begins with intense footage of rough ocean waves mm. crashing together amidst the sound of howling winds. Wow. We see a lone sailboat in the water. We see vintage film of a shirtless man on the deck of the boat. Now, we're introduced to a man named Ron Winspear. Uh, now, here's the thing, Dave. I'm going to say... 90- Perfect name for his, for his fucking sailor. I was thinking the same thing, although he's not a sailor. Oh. Now, here's the thing. This episode is comprised mostly of British people. British people. Okay. okay. So I know he's bringing it up. <laughs> well, you already have the gap in the middle of your mouth for it. There's about 10 different British people oh, no. in, the, <laughs> in the documentary. You're going to practice all your I don't ones. know if I Cackney can do all of them. Hackney. I don't know if I could do all of them, but I'm going to do my best. Cockney. So Ron uh, Winspear, he says, we're all human beings <laughs> and we have dreams. This voyage is Dolan's. For him, it was the adventure. It was the adventure. There may have been an element he wanted fame and glory. He wasn't adverse to taking risks. But when you're alone, just you and the ocean, it's a whole universe. It's totally indifferent. It's there waiting for you. If you make a slip, then imagination is the danger. It's no longer about heroes and adventures at sea. It's about isolation and the delicate mechanism of the mind. Well, time for a title card, Dave. Okay. Deep Water. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to flash back two years earlier to uh, May 1967. Okay. And we see a huge gathering of cheering people near a lighthouse at Water's Edge. Mm -hmm. Boats fill the water nearby. It's... What what, What country are we in? We're in England. Okay. I would call it a regatta. Okay. <laughs> sure. I don't know if that's the appropriate the regatta. Term. 
Well, we are introduced to a man named Ten Hines, um, who is a man that works for a gentleman by the name of Rodney Hallworth. They call okay. him Rodney Hallworth's deputy. Okay. Well, Rodney Hallworth, he's a newspaperman, but Ted is uh, basically the only guy uh, that's alive because basically Rodney Hallworth, Hallworth, the newspaper man, he's dead. Okay. So he's kind of talking about what he did with Rodney. Got it. So he says, it was his new release to the Beatles age. Wow. It was the Beatles. Oh, fuck. It me. was sexual freedom. I'm assuming closed captioning is on this whole time. Freedom of the seas. It caught the imagination. And then we hear a radio announcer saying, Francis Chester, aboard Gypsy Moth 4, is now in sight of home. He's merely 15 miles from Plymouth at the end of his epic round-the-world voyage. Thousands of people have been pouring into the city. They're waiting for the first glimpse of a man who set out nine months ago and 33,000 miles ago. Now, I don't know if you notice. Mm -hmm. That's not transatlantic man voice I'm doing. That's sounds like British it. transatlantic man voice. They 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 have to uh, they kind of, they try to make it as homogenous as possible when what, you get into broadcasting. Correct, but it's it's more British transatlantic right, right. than American transatlantic. Yeah, yeah it's American. I'm not yeah, gonna try you it. don't do that stuff. No, I'm not I good do at that voices. stuff. So we see this man. Fuck you, dude. I want to do the stuff sometimes. <laughs> well, fuck you, dude. You can't do it. Okay. So we see this gentleman, Francis Chichester, and he's coming back from this massive voyage. You know, he's, like I said, it was a 33,000-mile voyage. Mm -hmm. um, so he's treated to a hero's welcome, and he's greeted by the king and queen of England. He's awarded a trophy for his efforts. He gets a parade. Homeboy's the new Magellan, okay? Okay. So Ted Hines, this is Rodney's deputy, he says, there were signs, there was noise, it was mayhem. Uh, you stood and washed it and let it wash over you. Chichester has done a single-handed circumnavigation and brought his vessel back home. Staring stuff. Boys-only stuff. Chichester had started the ball rolling. People were looking for, what's the new challenge? What's the next frontier? Yeah. Well, it's time to meet another sailor. His name is Robin Knox Johnston. He is going to be a competitor mm -hmm. in the next race. I'm not going to do his voice. Okay. He says, Chichester stopped halfway, though. He pulled into Australia and did quite serious refits. I thought, that's it. Refits? What? Refits. Ref Your boat's fucked up. You got to fix it. Oh, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's, he's British. Yeah. You need a refit. Fits. Oh, God. <laughs> so, okay. I need a legend. I need a key and a legend here. He says, that's it. One thing left to be done is to go around the world single-handed hell yeah but non-stop right so you can't stop you can't go into a port you can't say hey i'm coming on a little scurvy can i get a couple lemons yeah you know what i mean oranges place and like i said I'm gonna, the I'm, voices. Gonna I'm gonna roll up you just like roll a boat next to me and like hand it off <clears throat> well it's some kind of handoff bullshit ted hines send a crow ted, ted hines says the general public got into the spirit of it, had newspapers as well, and of course the Sunday Times came up with the idea of a non-stop race around the world. Well, there's another television reporter named Donald Kerr, and he says there could be no greater challenge. The first part, down to the South Atlantic, was fairly kind. But then your trouble started. Once you rounded the Cape of Good Hope, you were into the roaring forties, the endless band of storms that circled the world. Then, thousands of miles later, you pass south of Australia, 
New Zealand, and across the rest of the Pacific to the Cape Horn. The seas become narrow there, and as they funnel together, they grew wilder. Then up past the Falkland Islands, cross the equator, back to the North Atlantic, and you are on your way home. Now, do you know who Tilda Swinton is? No. Okay, I do. Okay. And I've had a huge crush on her for years. Okay. You never saw the movie Michael Clayton? No. Okay, well, she's a British actress. Okay. And she's going to narrate uh, most of the film. Now, I don't do uh, female accents, especially... Thank God. And I wouldn't Only do when it, you dress up. <laughs> and I wouldn't do a disservice to the great Tilda Swinton by trying. So I'm not going to. So she Tilda. says... In the spring of 68, <laughs> some of the world's most experienced sailors began to gather around the ports of Britain. They were stepping forward as contenders in the greatest endurance test of all time. Well, Donald says, this wasn't a race in the normal sense of the world. Word. You could leave whenever you wanted, but you had to leave by October 31st okay. to avoid the really severe winter weather at Cape right. Horn. You know where right. Cape Horn is? Yeah, of course. Where? North England. <laughs> No. Where is it? I have no idea. Cape Horn yeah. is the bottom of South America. Oh. It's some of the most treacherous okay. waters. That's why they built the uh, the the canal, because the people they didn't want to have to go through Cape Horn. Correct. Now, not obviously, because, they also didn't want to have to go all that way. Exactly. It, is, it accomplished two things. Yes. Now, the first men to do it would get the Golden Globe. Is there, a, is there an equivalent to the African... No. Well, no. the Suez Canal. No, not the not the canal, but for Africa, like, is there a That's the equipment? Cape of Good Hope. It, down there, it's the Cape of Good Hope? Right, but it's not nearly as it's treacherous. Bad, treacherous. It's not bad at all, actually. Treacherous. So, you got two prizes. I learned something. The first person... Dave, this is why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. You're not the only one learning things. You're right. You just get to learn all this great stuff mm -hmm. two days before everybody else does. Yes. You should feel fortunate. Yes. And I have to listen to it over and over again. Well, that's because you fuck up when you edit it. If <laughs> yeah. you edit it the right way, we wouldn't have those problems. All right. Let's, now, let's get off the topic. Now, here's the thing. You're going to get two prizes. Okay. The first guy to do it, he gets the Golden Globe. Now, the boat that goes around the fastest gets five grand. Who's putting it on again? The the London Times. The Sunday okay. Times. Okay. okay. They're the ones that are sponsoring this whole thing. Cool. So... It is April 1968. It's pretty cool. And we have six months to the final departure deadline. So you can you you have a six-month window when you can start the journey. Okay. Okay? So obviously the cutoff is October 31st. So if you don't make that time, you're not in the race. So is it literally the first person to are you gonna go over the rules? I just did. Okay. But, but you like, weren't listening. No, the no. The first but, but, person to complete it gets yeah. the Golden Globe. Got, okay, okay, okay. The person to do it the fastest. Got it, got it. Gets the boat. No. no what? <laughs> gets $5,000. 5, $5,000. That's pounds. That's right. That's okay. Right, that's, right, that's right. So Robin Knox Johnson. <laughs> KGB. He's, he's a, getting baked. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go. Robin Knox Johnston. He's a competitor. In the race. And he says, this was something that a human hadn't attempted to do. Yeah. First of all, we didn't know if a boat could take it. And secondly, there was considerable doubt that a human could take it. Psychiatrists said a human would go mad if they tried. We're talking about 10 months of loneliness. Yeah. <sighs> Funny. I can beat that stretch. No problem. But the more people 
told me that it was possible and I couldn't do it, the more I was convinced. Just me and my I cell could phone. Do it. They didn't have cell phones. <laughs> oh, they didn't? The one I thought would prove the real competition was Bernard Motissier. And he, he was, was going to be some Frenchman. You nailed Fucking it. Fucking knew it. He was highly. I thought you'd be like Dupont. Highly experienced. Yeah. When we meet Bernard's wife, Francois. <laughs> she says Bernard was a poet and a philosopher. Oh God! He need uh, this to prove himself that he was capable of doing this. Ugh. He wanted to be the first to go around the world. That was a challenge to himself. It wasn't about winning the race. Right. Well, Tilda says the Tildy. French, the French adventurer Bernard Montissier, uh-huh. and the British merchant marine captain Robert Knox Johnson were cool. among the nine men announced in the final lineup cool each knew the winners would earn their place in history do they go over like how big the boat can be and all that stuff that's going to come into sa- in the second, second part. part cool yeah, yeah okay yeah. so ted says and it's mandatory you go by yourself yeah okay yeah it's solo solo because loneliness is part of it right and you got to skipper this whole thing by yeah, yourself got it well cool. T- ted says they were proper seamen experienced sailors <laughs> okay and they were there was a mystery man Ooh. by the name of Don Crowhurst. Mm. Now, that's not entirely accurate when he says they were proper seamen. Uh-oh. But we're going to have... Uh, I'm going to touch on that in part two. I wonder if anyone jacked the <coughs> boats just to get part of the race, be part of the race. You're going to find out. Wow. So a reporter says, what sort of attitude of mind does a single-handed sailor have to have? Now, we meet the mystery man, Don Crowhurst. And we see him in archival film footage. He says, I think one psychology has to be fairly stable and one has to be constantly aware of the risks one is running, which need not necessarily be much greater. Well, we also meet his wife, Claire. She's got a very whispery voice. She says, I just thought it's too enormous to take on something like that. I didn't give it some serious thought. But there is a moment when an opportunity arises, and if you don't grasp it, that's it. The first time I saw him, we were at a party at my flat. I thought he was a wonderful man, warm, vigorous, and lively person. I had a red dress on, and he immediately said, Whose husband did you arrive with? (laughs) He started telling me fortune. That was a ploy, I'm sure. He may have used it with... uh, Several others, but it worked on me. John started, <laughs> own, started his own small electronics firm, making navigational aids. They were very, very slow selling, but we were able to eat from it. It didn't bother us very much that we couldn't have a very exotic life, but really, we were skint, as it were. Hmm. I don't yeah, know what that means. I didn't either. We got a new word. What is it? Skint. skint. Skinned. Yeah, it's a British term that means without money or penniless. Ah. So drop that in your, your vocab skint. this week. You skint bitch. Yeah. <laughs> there will be no extra uh, in, Sh- in coupling with you because you're so skint. <laughs> I love it. Well, we also meet. I thought you said you don't do women's accents. I, I do sometimes. When I change my up. mind. Right. <laughs> when I dress up. <laughs> as fucking, as uh, uh, Mrs. Rabbit. What's the name? Jessica Rabbit. Jessica Rabbit. God. Jessica Rabbit. Well, we meet uh, Don's son, Simon. And he says things were difficult and business was struggling. 
my father was at that stage of his life where he needed to take on a challenge mm -hmm. that would show the skills. Uh, the 1960s version of uh, Midlife Crisis? Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I think he was 37 at the time. The poor version, the poor English version. He needed to show the skills that he had, the abilities that he had, which he had somehow felt frustrated and unable to show in his business. My father had grown up with the Kipling stories of adventure and of heroes overcoming challenges. Chichester had achieved something on a heroic scale, and he was recognized for it. He had performed a tremendous feat that everybody could see and admire. Well, we see Chichester, okay, and he kneels down on one of those little velvet um, footstools, okay, and the queen's knight in his ass. So he got knighted for this first voyage that went around the world, even with this little stop off. Love it. So it's a really big deal. How many people have been knighted? I'm not going to look it up, but I'm, I wonder. No, how I've many, got how some many, information on how many people have been knighted. No, but how many seamen? Here's the thing: when you get Billions. knighted, it is basically the most excellent order of the British Empire. Yeah, but okay. It feels like so it's an has OBE. Okay? okay, it's a British order of chivalry. Right rewarding contributions to the arts and sciences, right. work with charitable and welfare organizations, and public service outside the civil service. Okay. It was established uh, June 4th, 1917 by King George V, and there are five classes it comprises of both civil and military divisions. Now, there's a breakdown. The first senior of the two uh, recipients are... A knight if you're a guy, and a dame if you're a female. So there's five classes of the uh, most excellent order of the British Empire. Right. The first is Knight Grand Cross. That's if you're a dude. And if you're a chick, you get Dame Grand Cross. And then the step down from that is Knight Commander or Dame Commander. And then the third step is commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire, and then the least is officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. Nice. <coughs> that was interesting. I didn't know any of that. But like, but like, like, so if a war hero versus like Elton John getting it, like, is it like the same exact award? One is civilian. Aha. Uh -huh. um, no, it is not the same. Okay. So, um, one of them you're allowed to use, sir. <clears throat> I think the top two you can use, sir. Okay. Like you can walk around and say, dude, you're going to call me sir. Yeah. Do you know what sir I mean? Sir Elton John. Right. You queer. <laughs> so if you get the top two, <laughs> you get to be called sir or dame. Okay. Like it's in your title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Like, like, yeah, that's why I asked. Like they make you change your name. Yo, they, they change your name. Yeah, make you change your name. They just change it for you, buddy. Yeah. If you had one, who wouldn't change their name? No, that's a hundred percent. I mean, and you have to be on. a British citizen or no? No, uh, they don't. Yeah, I would think so. I think yeah. you do because it's you know it's order of the British Empire. Sure, and they're not going to be fucking giving Frenchies. Fucking <laughs> maybe an Aussie. That's a really good question. I'm sure there's know. some kind of equivalent. All right, all right. Well, let's move on. Let's go on. Well, Donald Kerr, the television reporter, says. All he needed was someone to put up the money, and he carried along an entrepreneur, a caravan dealer, Stanley Best. Ah, uh, a gypsy. <laughs> I guess that's what Pike, Pikey. <laughs> Pikey. We need a couple of Pikeys in this bitch. Well, we hear the voice of Stanley Best saying, 
it really was an exciting adventure. And I'm not an adventurous person. So as far as I'm concerned, but it was interesting, compelling to join in. How many of these guys have beards? None. That's the thing in fisherman thing. It's like they, you, you they, go on the boat beardless. Yeah, beardless you come back. Yes. It's like the and, NHL and playoffs, not, bro. Well, yeah, but I think it's also getting caught on shit too. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to get caught on anything. <laughs> Donald says, <laughs> but the paddles of sponsorship are enormous. Stanley Best knew nothing about sailing, but as a hard-headed businessman, he wanted a contract. Well. Don's son says, Stanley Best made my father sign an agreement. If he dropped out before the race began or dropped out early of the race, he would be forced to buy the boat back. In effect, my father would become bankrupt. The house we lived in would have been sold. He was gambling everything. He had staked everything on being successful in the race. Everything depended on it. Wow. Yeah. Some high stakes there, buddy. Yeah. <clears throat> They're going to start planting fertilizer bombs on them. The other, the other ones. Oh, uh, no. Oh, you think he's going to try and sabotage them maybe. just to win this race? You know, like on Greece, you have like the little things on the side in the movie Greece on the on the car. They have the little blades on the side of the car. Oh, yeah, of course. You can get some of those put on the side of your boat and <laughs> <go> destroy their <laughs> boat. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think those would work. No, it doesn't no. work that way? Damn it. Well, Tilda says, as the construction of Crowhurst's uh, revolutionary boat began, his rivals, one by one, were setting sail. <laughs> With the prize of the fastest voyage, as well as the first man home, the men were free to leave at any time, so long as they sailed by the race deadline of October 31st. Well, it's June 1968. Four okay. months to final departure death. <clears throat> when does it start again? It started May. Uh, yeah, it started two months before that. It was okay. a full six and months. Have they gone over who's gone, who's left yet? I'm about to. Okay, great. <laughs> so I'm excited. I want to. This is fun, <clears throat> buddy. I bring the fun. Okay. Well, Robert Knox Johnson. I gotta make it about you. It's all about me. He <laughs> says I think there were some similar similarities between mm -hmm. us and astronauts. Okay. People were just beginning to go around the moon at that time. In the mm -hmm. fact, in fact, the first trip around the moon, there was a lot of interest in what happened to people when they're suddenly shoved up clear of the earth. And I suppose they looked upon us the same way. You know, we're basically in a small capsule. Yep. We're setting off to go around the world. It's extremely dangerous. Anyone who goes to sea and says they don't feel fear is a liar. Of course you're frightened. Well, um, Bernard Montissier's wife, Francois, yep. she says, I could not stop him. Bernard always wanted to do whatever he wanted. I couldn't say no. It was impossible and thinkable. If I had said no, he wouldn't have listened. He wouldn't even, he would have even left earlier, maybe. Well, we hear someone speaking as Bernard. Okay. Because Bernard has since passed away. Right. Now, keep in mind, Robert Knox Johnson, he's alive in this film. Got it. So we're hearing from him, but Monticia is no longer with Can us. Can I just ask one quick question sure. that's bugging me? Yeah. Do they, does it go over in the documentary, like, cheating? Oh, yes. And then, like, checkpoints? Oh, yes. Okay, good. I want to know. Let's go. Okay. So Bernard says, <clears throat> when I left Plymouth, Francois <laughs> was aboard the launch following me. Okay. She was not very happy with that. <laughs> it's always a case of having to sacrifice one thing for another. 
You have to choose between your life and the woman. Oh, and it's got to be your own life, hasn't it? Without hesitation. <laughs> Without hesitation. He's right, man. Yeah. We are forced with decisions in life yes. when it becomes happiness or women. Yeah. And if you're smart, mm -hmm. you're a loner. Yeah. <laughs> you Pussy or one. fun. <laughs> you can't have both. Pussy or brain damage. Yes. Well, we hear uh, Bernard and he keeps going. He says, around the world without stopping, single-handed is an enormous challenge. It's incredibly demanding. No one has done it before. Anyone who tries it just for the money or prestige is going to break his neck. Yeah. Well, let's move ahead to September 23, 1968. Okay. We have five weeks left to the final departure deadline. Right. And how many how many people have gone? We're gonna get into that. Got it. Crowhurst boat um hasn't launched yet. Okay. So Claire says, There was this extremely pretty ribbon that I had to pull, and it would swing the bottle into the hole. Ah, very cool. You know, and now in archival footage, we see her pulling the ribbon. Yeah. And the champagne bottle. Yeah. Just comes swinging down into the hole. Right. Bounces right off. Oh, uh, it doesn't break. <laughs> it doesn't break. Is that bad luck? Where have you been? That's okay. like the worst luck of all time. Oh, no. It had to be smashed by hand. So she takes like both ends of the champagne bottle and just smashes it into the hole. And of course, that's got all sorts of connotations in sailing circles. Oh, no. But Donald wanted this thing. He wanted to have a go. I thought, well, if anybody has a chance, he has a chance because he's so innovative, he'll do it. Well, Ted. Oh, boy. He says. Innovative is not the term I want for, I guess it's a good term, innovative. I guess you have to get innovative when you're out there in the treacherous waters of Cape. They were all in 40s. <laughs> Cape what again? Cape Hope? You got Cape Hope. But what's, that's, that's Africa. That's the easy one. What's, which one is that one? We're talking the horn. about the horn, the Cape Horn. Well, Ted says this was a classic tale of English dad doing on a shoestring. Yes. Their hometown British hero. There'll be TV deals. There'll be newspaper deals. I mean, it's sort of that feeding frenzy start. Rodney, my boss, was a, a businessman as well as a journalist. He was a Dickinsonian character, the yeah. artful dodger, perhaps even a Fagin. He immediately <laughs> saw the potential to make lots of money. Do you know what those references? Nope. Artful Dodger and a Fagin? No. Uh, they're from a Dickens novel. Okay. No biggie. Uh, like Dodger, like dodging train cars? Yeah, it's Oliver Twist, bro. <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, Rodney, this is the guy who passed away who was basically the press agent. And he says, a press agent's job. <laughs> oh, my God. Is to get hold of the package, which could be as dull. He's American? No, he's, he's British, mm. but he's just got marbles in his mouth <laughs> because he drinks too many pints at the pub. Wow. He says a precious job is to get hold of the package, which could be as dull as an old tin box. Meeting people who, who do great things are often as personalities rather dull. Jesus. So you got to dress it up a bit Christmassy so it appears attractive. Donald decided originally to start down beyond Penzance, but here in Tynmouth, we have a fairly uh, active publicity shut up, and we persuaded him to come uh, 150 miles backwards to start here. 
and enjoy the delights of Tinmouth. Okay. And the hoteliers immediately saw the potential publicity wash. Guy's yeah. a character. Yeah. Mushmouth. Mushmouth Rodney Hallworth. Well, Tilda says, Crowhurst's journey to Tinmouth was the first outing for his revolutionary boat. It should have taken three days to get there. It took him two weeks. Well, Ted Hines, this is Rodney's deputy, he says, yeah. it's pretty embarrassing. We've been promoting Crowhurst as the dark horse of the sea. We initially thought this was a man who had made transatlantic voyages. He wasn't. He'd messed about in boats, but he was almost a weekend sailor. No, no. But everyone loved the idea of this boy's own hero. We wanted him to succeed. The public, the town of Tinmouth, and Fleet Street wanted it to work. Well, Tilda says, Crowhurst at this point is dangerously behind schedule. Okay. All but one of the sailors were underway at this point. All but one. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. He'd lost any chance of winning the trophy for first man home. Right. And to win the 5,000 pounds cash prize, he'd have to stay, sail the world faster than any of the racers ahead of him through a southern ocean that was already claiming casualties. Wow. So we see a map of their position. Already in the competition? They're, dude, wait till I tell wow. you how far these, some of these guys are. Well, Knox, Robert Knox Johnson, he's in first in the Southern Ocean. He's followed by Montessier, just east of the Cape of Good Hope. So okay. if you picture the Southern Ocean where yep. Robert Knox Johnson is, yep. that's so, the Southern Indian Ocean. Right. So he's already left England gone around the Cape of Good Hope and started into the South Seas, the Southern Ocean. Right. Well, Montessier, he's just east of the Cape of Good Hope. Blythe is further behind, a man named Blythe. A man named King is behind him. Fogaron is behind him. Ridgeway's behind him. And then a man named Tetley, he's behind him. Wow. So. That's our lineup right now. That's your lineup of the seven in the sea. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Well, Donald Kerr says Chayblythe and John Ridgway had been knocked out of the race. Big C's had seen them off. It was the first inkling that this was not just an adventure, but a very dangerous undertaking. Well, Ron Winspear, this is Don's friend who's still alive today, he says Don was showing a, a great bit of courage. He was well aware of the risks, but he felt he was capable of getting through it. So let's go to Tinmouth. Okay. <clears throat> Donald Kerr's there, and he says, here now was a machine at full blast. I was there as a journalist. I was producing a film. I could see the schedule was tight, and when I got to Tinmouth, it was chaos, total chaos. And we see a reporter talking to Don. He says, it took far longer for you to come around the East Coast than you had originally planned. What sort of uh, pressures has this put on you as a result? And Don, this is from archival footage, he says, well, it's a week less. It means less time, you know. The schedule is that much tighter. And Claire says, I thought there was chaos here, oh, you know. Yeah. And that's worrying. The BBC people were watching it. You could see that the, they saw that this wasn't how it was supposed to be. Well, Donald Curran says, I told the cameraman... This is a voyage that's not going to happen. 
It's not going to succeed. Just film what is already happening. Film the chaos of it all, which he did. With three or four days to go, there was so much still to be done by so many different people who got in each other's way. He had lost track of what was happening to his own boat. Hmm. <coughs> well, Crower says, of course you realize I've got to have the equipment tonight. He's on the phone talking to somebody. It will be on the boat. I, can't, I need it on the boat tonight. So he's still like trying to fucking get everything on the boat. Yeah. They don't say what, but I'm assuming like fucking sardines and shit yeah, so he I mean, can whatever. eat. <clears throat> well, his wife says, at that stage, people were beginning to say to him, are you sure everything is all right? Have you really considered what you're doing? Well, Donald says, this is Donald Curry. He says he was getting more and more exhausted and more rattled. He was bright and cheerful for the interviews, but the minute the camera stopped, his face dropped. Because they sense that it's a personal story. And if I can ask you, Don, do you feel you're up against it uh, with the time limit? And he says, I don't think there are too many things that are of importance that remain undone. Uh, most of it has uh, been taken care of. And I think that, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm not lacking any great uh, respects. You know, there's nothing essential that's missing. Right. Well, Donald Kerr says, the last day in Tinmouth, Claire and I took him off for a walk on the seafront, and he just sat there withdrawn and trembling, saying, it isn't ready. The boat isn't ready. And as we walked back to meet Stanley Best, the sponsor, and Rodney Haworth, who stood to make a lot of money if he succeeded and nothing if he failed. So when he told them he couldn't go and the boat wasn't ready, they said, Donald, tomorrow it's October the 31st, the last day to go, you have to go. <laughs> well, Stanley says, Damn. what do you think of the weather tomorrow? And Don says, I don't know. Well, it doesn't say what's wrong with the boat or it's not like it doesn't say what's wrong or anything. They don't get into it. <clears throat> Ever? They will. Not before he leaves. Got it. Stanley says, I would think at this time of the year, the southwestern winds. Dawn. Yeah, it's very nice. It will be. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Donald Kerr describes it as it was unstoppable. There was too much at stake. How could he say, I can't go? And at least he faced ridicule and embarrassment. What should he be in his own eyes if he didn't go? Well, it's now October 31st. That's the last day to leave. Yep. <clears throat> now we turn to Tenmouth and South Devon on the last day in which Donald Crowers could start on his round-trip world voyage. The rules of the Sunday Times race say that all competitors must have started by the end of October and at 3 this afternoon. After innumerable delays, start Mr. Crowhurst did. Wow. Well, we see him in black and white footage. And he's like rowing out to the boat with his kids. Okay. And there's water in the little dinghy. And oh, God. He's got like boxes of shit and like maps. And no, like, yeah, no, it God. Not, it does not look good <laughs> at all. Oh, shit. Uh, Don, we're terribly short of time. The pilot is waiting. I'm so sorry. I gotta go. <laughs> well, the son says, I remember going out on a small rowboat with my brothers and sisters. Oh, boy. And my father kissing us goodbye. Oh, no. It was the last time we'll ever see him. That fucking... Okay, let's it go. It wasn't a feeling of sadness so much as excitement. 
But I suppose there was a feeling also in the back of my mind, well, you don't quite know what's going to happen next. The children were all oblivious <laughs> to the danger without any doubt, and it's just as well, really. Well, she's left Tinmouth at last. The 41-foot trimaran, Tinmouth Electron, at the helm, Donald Crowhurst. This 36-year-old engineer who, even at this last stage, hasn't given up the idea of recording the fastest time. Guess he's got his little yellow one-piece suit on, still has his tie on. The guy's fucking wearing a suit and a tie <laughs> on the it. boat. Love it. And here out there, too, is his wife, Must Claire. Must look proper. And four young children. They're all very small, chatting. Bye-bye, daddy. <laughs> oh, something's gone wrong out there. He's taking a tour again. Something I think is gone wrong with the sail. She's being towed back. Oh, this oh, is a tragedy. Oh, already he's gotten just leaving. He Dude, he's like leave. 20 feet out in the water. He's got fucking problems. Oh, no. The buoyancy bag on the masthead fouled. The sails wouldn't go up. Well, it was a delay for only two hours, but by 5 p.m., Mr. Crow's trimaran was being towed out a mile from the shore at a cannon shot, the mark, the official start of the race around the world. You see this guy in the boat? So he's, he started, but it doesn't mean he can't. <laughs> <laughs> he's already started. He started because he got in the water. Yeah. Okay? He's in. But it takes him another two hours yeah. just to, like, get the fucking sail up. Yeah. Love it. All I could see was this tiny figure on what seemed to be a minute boat disappearing over the horizon. Mm -hmm. Well, let's check in with Robert Knox Johnson. He says, nowadays, with GPS, you can pinpoint you know, your position to within a few feet of any portion on the globe. Well, in the 60s, that just wasn't the case. Donald Crowhurst uh, sailed over the horizon and effectively into oblivion. Uh oh I don't think people understand what it was like in those days pre-special foods, pre-weather mm -hmm. forecast, yeah, yeah, pre-satellite. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Francois, uh, Francois uh, excuse me, Francois, that's Bernard's wife. Right. She says, this solitude would last for months. When you are at sea for a long time, she was a sailor herself. The day after day, you have an infinite horizon. And I think a lot of people could be frightened by that immensity. Yet at the same time, all decisions are yours. You turn into a kind of small god in your own eyes. I think Bernard had found his universe. Well, let's check in with Bernard. You, you sorry, yeah, no. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, does it go into like our like their their like um, their patterns of like sleeping and all that stuff at any point? Yeah, a little bit on the sleep. Like, do they like when they're asleep? Do they, are they still just like going? Like, are they? Still oh just, yeah, yeah. They're still just going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're not just floating. No, no, you still sail yeah. when you sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unless you're in bad weather and you batten down the hatches. Yeah. Uh, batten down the hatches. Well, man, Montesquieu says, you cannot imagine how intensely I was living, how good it was to be on your own. You climb up and you look back at your boat. There is the sea, the wind, the sound of the water, all above the beauty of the boat surging forward. On your own, you can discover who you really are. Well, Tilda, Tilda, she says, Montessier had now been in sea for two months. He was sailing faster than any of his rivals, averaging speeds of 120 miles a day. And closing rapidly on the race later, Robin Knox Johnston. Behind them at the field of seven men was Crowhurst. The voyage he'd staked his future was finally underway. Nice. Now, for some perspective at this time, 
we're going to check in. Knox Johnston is now east of Southern Australia. Okay. Okay. So he's made some pretty impressive time. Montessier is closely trailing behind him due west of Australia. King is approaching the Cape of Good Hope. Uh, Fogaron is west of Southern Africa. And Tetley is in the middle of the Southern Atlantic. And Crowhurst at this point is just by Spain. Okay. Okay. He's barely getting out. Dude, he's got a long way to go. Yeah. Well, it's November 1968. And we hear Don Crowhurst speak in vintage footage that he shot himself on the boat. I've been at sea now nearly 14 days, and I'm on my way to a rendezvous with Cape Horn. That explains why I'm here in the North Atlantic in the middle of November making tape recordings in a small boat. Well, Donald Kerr, the reporter, says, I wanted film of him at sea, and I thought his thoughts... So, and I wanted his thoughts, so I got him a 16-millimeter camera and a tap recorder, like in Tinmouth. When the camera was on, he was this bold, outgoing, confident figure. He was playing the character of the long-distance sailor. Well, we see Don in his footage, and he says, The thing about single-handing is it puts a great deal of pressure on the man. It explores the weaknesses with a penetration that very, very other occupations can manage. Remember old Ron Winspear, his best friend? Yep. He says, Don was always totally positive and confident on the surface, but the log revealed a totally different story. Well, we get a chance and an insight to his logs, and these are actual excerpts from his log. November 5th, Tuesday, Rachel's birthday. Happy birthday, Rachel. Hell of a morning for me, though. I was feeling pleased with myself when I... Noticed bubbles were blowing out of the port forward hatch. All the evidence was the compartment was full of water. November 7th, Thursday, saw that more screws had fallen out of the self-steering gear. Oh, boy. It's four gone now. Oh, no. The cockpit hatch has been leaking, and it's flooded the engine compartment and electrics. This bloody boat is just falling to pieces. Well, Donald Kerr says there were... A lot of hatches on these outer holes, and they were all leaking. While he was in these calm waters, he could walk out to them and bail them out with a bucket. But once he got into the Southern Ocean, the boat would be swept by waves. There was no way he could empty them. The holes would fill, and he would drown. Now, first, some perspective. Do you know what a trimaran is? No. Okay, a regular sailboat's a fucking boat. Got it. Trimaran has three different holes. Okay. And then they're all connected, you know, with different, you know, spacing in between. In, into the into the bottom of the boat. No, it literally looks like um, you have uh, a middle portion of the boat. Okay, okay, okay. And then you have one on the outside and another on the Got outside. It. So it's three separate holes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what this guy had built thinking it would be faster. Okay. So Don then says, and these are according to his logs, November 15th, racked by the growing awareness that I must soon decide whether or not I can go on in the race uh, and face of the actual situation. Well, Ron says, I think doubt started to set in when reality started to set in. And that was the reality that wasn't quite as perfect as the idea. This is why ideas are dangerous. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Ideas are dangerous. Well, from Don's log, 
As the boat stands in its present condition, my chances of survival would not, I think, be better than 50-50. He knew the risk of going to the Southern Ocean was very, very high indeed. Well, we see footage uh, that's filmed from Chichester's voyage okay. of the Southern Ocean, and they are in crazy rough waters. Wow. Well, the narrator Tilda says, Crowhurst was now heading into the ocean in a leaking boat he had to bail out by hand. Yikes. And confirmation of just how dangerous those seas could be came later that November. Well, let's check in with old Robert Knox Johnson. He says, I'd heard about Ridgeway and Blythe. Next, I got the news uh, off New Zealand, and I learned about King and Ferguson. Well, Bill King got turned over by a, 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 they don't say if it's a rogue wave or not, by a wave off South Africa, and he lost his mast. And then the Italian dude, that was the guy that left with Crowhurst on the last day. Okay. He got so stressed out, he got ill. Wow. And he got an, uh, a stomach ulcer. Oh, no. And uh, then there was the French sailor who he had 27 days of the most appalling weather, and he just packed it in. Well, well, like he left. He He's quit. Fucking it. He's like, I'm out. Fuck yeah, yeah, this yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Ted says... So that, that he, in other words, it was that 28 days after, 28 days after, like, leaving? Yeah. Okay. He was like, fuck this. All right. Well, let's check in with Ted. He says, it came down to the last four. So he's already in the last top four, dude. He's doing all right. <laughs> he's got to survive. He's got, but he still hasn't even entered the hard part yet. Well, all these dude, people he's have, still by Spain. All these people have already hit all the hard parts. Homeboy's already passed New Zealand. Yeah. Fucking Knox Johnson. He's kicking some serious ass. All right, yeah. So we're down to Tetley, Knox Johnston, Montesier, and Crowhurst. Only four remain. So the odds were shortening on Crowhurst all the time, but his progress was painfully slow. His only communication with land was through occasional telephone calls patched through radio operators through Morse code cables. And the cables cataloged all of his problems. Now we see some of these telegrams, delayed strong headwind, now struggling severe southwesterly gale, Generator overhauled, going on towards Madeira. Crowhurst was barely averaging 60 miles a day. Oh. Half the speed of Montissier. Wow. In a boat that would not stay afloat in heavy seas. Yeah. He hasn't even gotten into the shit oh, yet. Oh, man. So <coughs> it's December 19th. Top four so far. Yeah. He's yeah I guess he just has to get further than them. And Anyway, go on. There's a thing. Anybody yeah. could go out at any time. I know, you know, I know, I know, I know. So it's December 1968, okay. and he's been at sea for 30 days. And his friend, he says, the pressure was building. If Don went forward, he was committing suicide. But the financial situation was desperate. If he came back, he was ruined. Well, we get more excerpts from Don's logbook. Time and money. If one considers time only... The thing to do is to turn back now. But money, this area is the most worrying. If I stop, I will disappoint a lot of people. Stanley Best, most important. Rodney Harworth, the folks at Tynmouth. In the final analysis, if this whole thing goes quite sour, the business bankrupt, the house sold, I would have Claire and the children still. What a bloody awful decision yeah. to chuck it in at this stage. 
What a bloody awful decision. Wait, he's already thinking about leaving? Yeah. He's like, I can't get there. He's 30 days in. He's wonder, got he's wonder, got bolts coming out of the steering wheel. I wonder what this guy's uh, life insurance policy is looking like. Here's my point. If you're 30 days in, what would you do? Uh, well, I mean, obviously, you got a rickety you got a, you boat. Got, you got a rickety boat. You're yeah. bailing water out. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing: if you come back, you're fucked financially for life. And if you fake your death, you get some insurance cash. I don't. That's a good point. I don't know. They don't talk about insurance. Wow. Maybe he just. You never know. But what's going through your brain? Well, faking my own death. Yeah, is what it yeah, starting a new life in uh, Papua New Guinea doesn't sound too bad. Papua New Guinea, I like it. Papua kind of- New Guineans. <laughs> so, Simon, his son, says, this was the point in mid-November at which his instincts should have told him that it was right to give up. Ma'am, I think I like your triangle titties. <laughs> and he should have come back to us. But somehow he could not bring himself to do that. Donald was brought up in British India. Jesus. Home was wonderful. The house full of animals. He loved his father dearly, but I think he had quite a nice little childhood. You have the whistle down pretty nice. There were always people around, but he was isolated. His mother regarded England as El Dorado, and they came back and found they didn't like it at all. They had little more than 5,000 pounds, and they thought they'd be able to live off that for a while. But as things turned out, the money went in three weeks, and they literally found themselves destitute. One day, his father just killed over from a heart attack, and that was it. Donald was 15. Jesus. Well, Simon, his son says he had seen the consequences of financial disaster in his own family. He knew what the implications might be for us. He would have had a real emotional gut reaction to do whatever he possibly could to avoid that. Maybe he could find a way out of his situation. Well, Ron says every time he woke up, it was the same problem. He got no peace. He couldn't walk away from it. If he came back, he was ruined. If he went forward, he was dead. Is there a third option? Hmm. Well, we see telegrams from Don, and they are interesting to say the least. Okay. Hurtled south 172 miles. Sunday, 243 miles. New record single handler. Who? Don, oh. he's making this amazing time all of a sudden. Oh, cheater! Well, aimbot. You see, so you don't believe. Wall it. hack. You don't believe this. Fuck no. <laughs> okay, they're setting it up already. Well, Donald, setting up the fucking scam already. Donald Curse says suddenly everything changed. Yeah. Now we're all excited. Yeah, install the aimbot. <laughs> a what? <laughs> it's a video game term for a video game cheat. Here was a man who was going so slowly, and now he was setting record speeds. People who had been cynical, people who had been disinterested, they felt differently now. His son Simon says, we just had this enormous confidence in my father that he could do whatever he set out to achieve, and then suddenly there he was, and it was really coming true. Ted says, this is vindication on a grand scale. 243 miles in one day, setting the new sailing record. 
And of course, Rodney is, yes, I've always believed in my boy. All that sort of stuff. Rodney Hallworth is a good Fleet Street journalist. Oh, Rodney Hallworth is a good Fleet Street journalist. Never let the facts get out of the way. Good story. You almost mixed up your voices there. uh, They've got a lot of them. Yeah. He would have had a little color and uh, quite a little distance to the records, Crowhurst was saying. So Donald was passing messages to Rodney, and Rodney was embellishing them for Fleet Street. Well, Wait, what? The, he's, he's... I fucked that up. So here's what the deal is. They're, Donald's basically saying, Rodney knows how to do journalism. He oh, never I lets see. the facts get in the way of a good story. So he's taking... So, and, 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 uh, but the, they know where they are by, by because he's sending postcards? <laughs> how do they know where this motherfucker is? But they actually see him. Like, how do they know? They see there's like radio. It's radio. Oh, radio. He's just radioing and saying where he's at. There's no beacons on these. But how do you fucking radio in from all the way the fuck back there? I thought like you can only radio in so far away. No, they have radios on the boats. I know, but like, how far do those radios go back then? They go in and out, as you'll see during the story. Uh, sometimes they work, <clears> and sometimes they don't. Oh man! But he's radioing these positions, and he's saying, "I'm fucking kicking ass." Well, yeah, he's fucking chilling in Papua New Guinea, dude. He's just <laughs> sucking on some some black tribal woman's triangle titties. Dude, get out of my face. Let's so go. You're not buying any Fuck of Fuck no. He's guano. Making some guano plates. <laughs> What's a guano plate? It's bat shit. Uh, it's guano pa- pa- dung. Yeah, it's dung. Bat, yeah. It's bat dung. That's very... You know that shit's worth a lot of money, right? Guano. <laughs> so anyway, there's an uh, island... And it's in the Pacific. I forget where, but it's covered. You forget the specific Pacific? It's, <laughs> I forgot the specific Pacific. It's fucking in, uh, I want to say it's near the Howland Islands or maybe somewhere uh, near where Amelia Earhart crashed. Oh, but it's I always know, around. Oh, but, is that where the CIA lives? Cool. No, that's where Batshit Island is. Batshit Island. And it's yeah. just covered with batshit. Sick. That's like all it is. It's like yeah. Snake Island, it's like but gold, instead of snakes. Gold for African yep. plate makers. That's where you go to get your bad shit. Sick. All right. So in the middle of December, a month and a half into his journey, Crowhurst's reported position advanced rapidly towards the Southern Ocean. Suddenly, it seemed that Donald Crowhurst was a contender in the contest for the fastest voyage. Nigel Tetley, Bernard Montissier, and Robert Knox Johnson were now his only remaining rivals. Sick. So it's Christmas 1968. Montissier's been at sea for 125 days. Tetley's been at sea for 100, or excuse me, Montessier's been at sea for 125. Tetley at 105. And Tetley, he goes big for Christmas. You hmm. see him at his little, like, um, uh, uh, what do they call it? The galley? He's got a fucking Cornish game hen. Wow. Uh, he's got two loaves of bread. He's got the sides and the stuffing, and he's even got a bottle of champagne. How did he even? Okay. He just dude, kept it for Christmas, dude? I guess he was waiting wow, for Christmas. Ah, that's some discipline. So he's at 105 days at sea, and he's making his Christmas you know, dinner. Cool. Keep in mind, Knox Johnston, he's almost doubled that. He's been at sea for 194 days. Oh, shit. And we see a reporter pull up next to his boat. Whoa, really? Yeah. Sick. Um, and the reporter's like, hey, what are you going to do when the voyage is over? And he says, hot bath, steak, eggs, chips with boiled potatoes, fresh peas, and a beautiful sirloin steak. But first... Just all food. <laughs> but first, a pint of English beer. Yeah. Christ, I miss English beer. Yeah. So he's at sea 
almost 200 days. So uh, uh, at this point, do they yeah. say how much time they expect him to be back? Like, have they charted out like average, like how oh, yeah. it's looking? Yeah. And how's it looking? It's looking like um, he's, he's more there? than, no, two thirds of the way. Got it. He's he's more than two thirds. So he should be there in about a couple months. Hopefully by, by like February is what they're thinking. A couple months. Yeah. No biggie. February, March. Well, keep in mind, Crowers, he's only been at sale for 55 days. Right. So he's, he's killing it right now. Mm-hmm. But no reporters are showing up to his boat, are they? Nope, not no, yet. Not yet. Keep in mind. Not yet. Keep in mind, you can't go reporter. Reporters don't have boats that go in the Southern Ocean. They no, found, no, I get it. They found old uh, Knox Johnston. Um, where did they say they found him? I want to say it was like, uh, fuck, maybe past New Zealand or some shit. But it was close. It wasn't like somebody just went out there. You know, it was a time thing. It had been planned. Got it. Okay, so we need to address your suspicions. Got it. Let's address them. Ron says this. I think it might have started as a game. Ah, uh, Knowing no. Dawn, he had a playful nature, and game playing would have come naturally to him. He started playing games. Oh, no. Maybe he'd thought, oh, my God. right, give them some boost back home, lift their spirits, and they'll all think something is happening here. Well, Simon says, my father was starting to claim that he had sailed further than he actually Uh did. Claim. He took the decision to begin charting his actual positions in a second logbook. So Crowhurst knew that the judges would ask for a logbook of any sailor who made it home. Right. So in his second logbook, he began to keep a secret record of his true journey while gradually... He's sending cables back to London, mapping out a fake story of his journey. And Ron says, I suspect he might have said, well, let's carry on a bit. Let a little water pass under the bridge. And then the game develops. (laughs) Okay. Well, we see footage of Crowhurst that he shot on his boat. He's just pounding a beer, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, he doesn't he, look so good. He's he's fresh <laughs> off. He still got beer. He doesn't look so good. But like you know, well, Crowhurst may only have intended to exaggerate his progress before retiring from the race, um, with a little pride restored. That's the theory. Right. But that first decision became a trap. Right. Of its own. Now of this course. is some amazing foreshadowing here. Of course. Simon says the option of pulling out of the race became even more formidable at this point because the difference between where people thought my father was and where he actually was became greater and greater. So to pull in at port would bring home the fact that he was not all where he was supposed to be and that he was much, much farther behind. Now, for some perspective, at this point, he's claiming he's at the tip of South Africa, which is called what? Cape Hope. Cape of Good Hope. Cape of Good Hope. When in reality, he's drifted across the Atlantic to the coast of Brazil. Whoa. Okay. Okay. It's Papua New Guinea. Papua New Guinea. <laughs> I don't even know what Papua New Guinea is. I think, I think it's, isn't it? It's off of the coast of Africa, I think, somewhere. I don't know. Okay. But he's on the wrong Maybe side. Maybe South Africa. He's, he's yeah. not even on the, on the chart anymore that you're yeah, supposed yeah, to go. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Ron, smart. Ron's, smart. Ron says that's where he got trapped, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, with all this fine Brazilian booty out there. He made a mistake. Uh-huh. 
whatever fears he had, he'd gone to go through with it. He couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. He could not go home. No. Well, Simon says around Christmas time, my father managed to the get... The weather here is amazing. I'm fucking staying. I'll send for you guys. Here, take the boat. He gets a call in to the family around Christmas time. And he couldn't tell Claire what the problems were that he was facing. She thought he was fine. And her job was to convince him um, that she was coping and doing fine. They were trying to protect each other. Uh, Simon says, we tried to have a good Christmas but there was still a great sense of something missing. I remember one of the children sitting on the staircase crying that he wanted his daddy. And that I think brought it home to me what a dreadful thing he had done. Well, we hear an audio tape from Don made during his journey. There is a spirituality about this place. And about that time Christmas, that does tend to make one a little bit melancholy. And one thinks of one's friends and family. And you know that they're thinking of you. And the sense of separation is somehow increased by the loneliness. Well, we also see a vintage interview with Claire. And someone says, how are the children doing? She's like, they're all right. They're healthy enough. Enough. One of them has nightmares. Uh, and it's a bit worrying. He walks in his sleep and he shouts and asks for his father, but he can't see him uh, because he can't communicate with him and he can't feel the warmth <laughs> of his personality. And about. He, he can't read his mind. And if he was a clairvoyant, then maybe he could chart out where he is. If he did remote viewing, maybe. Uh, okay. But the others are quite blasé. They keep saying, Daddy's going to win the Golden Globe, don't you know? Well, it's January 1969. Early in the new year, um, a newspaper photographed Claire with the wives of Tetley and Montissier, and they were christened the Sea Widows. For weeks now, Crowhurst publicity agents had tried to report news of his progress, but after the cable claiming the world's fastest speed record, his messages became rarer and hard to decipher. There were so many telegrams for him where he couldn't put out a st- the, the guys couldn't put out a story because they couldn't decipher them. So huh. the, we see these cables. It says stricken gout following New Year's sherry party, December twenty second off Brazil, almost into forties. Now equal footing, mermaids stop. They were cryptic. Okay, <laughs> one came off. Okay. Of Brazil. Well, where off Brazil? Somewhere in the middle of January, I think it was the 18th or the 19th, we got a message saying he was having trouble, and in the future, we would not be receiving any messages from him. Panic. The cable Mm. read, generator hatch sealed transmissions when possible. Rodney was facing the prospect of no more information at the most crucial point of the race. So Crowhurst's last cable claimed he was 500 miles into the Southern Ocean and closing in on Tetley. Ahead of him, Montissier and Knox Johnson were approaching the most dangerous part of the course, which is what? Cape Horn. Correct. So Robin says, Cape Horn becomes fixed in your mind. Once I'm around Cape Horn, I can go north. I can get off this bastard of a place because it's a bastard of a place. Who's that talking? That's Robert Knox Johnson. Got it. He's in the lead. And he's <laughs> at what point right now? Of Cape he's Horn? close to the Cape. 
Wow. So these guys haven't passed Cape Horn yet. No. Got it. Cape Horn is the last leg, literally. Oh, yeah, because you're going towards Brazil. Oh, so that's why going Brazil is not that bad. If they say he's in but Brazil. That's, but that's where Crowhurst is hanging out. Yeah, I know. He's, he's chilling on, over there. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, for some reason, I thought they're going the other way. But no, no, no. That makes sense to come through that way. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Yeah. But Crowhurst oh, is hanging out there. got it. I get it. Okay, got it, got it, got it. So he says, "Wow, you got to remember how dangerous Cape Horn is. Um, you imagine yourself in something the size of a small truck and coming towards you is a 12-story building. That's the size of the waves down there. And Montissier, he says, a great cap has a soul with very soft, very violent shadows and colors. A soul as smooth as a child's, as hard as a criminal's. And that is why we go. One forgets everything, seeing only the play of the boat with the sea. The play of the sea around the boat, leaving aside everything not essential to the gum. One has to be careful, though. <laughs> For the gum. <laughs> By the way, the games you play. I don't think they say it like that. <laughs> I know. But when I do my French game, it's always it's the gum. The gum can't change at any moment. One has to be careful, though, not to go further than necessary to the depths of the gum. <laughs> and that is the hard part, not going too far. It is now February 7th, 1969, and Crowhurst has been at sea for 100 days. Yeah. So... We have another audio uh, file that Crowhurst left. Still chilling down there and popping against. <laughs> what is it? No, actually, what's I'm trying to think of what's off of the coast over the there. The Falkland but, Islands. Oh, the Falkland Islands. I was thinking of Madagascar. No, dude, the Gask is on. <laughs> <laughs> the Gask is on the east side of Africa. Oh, that's right. Did Madagascar. you ever go to class dude do you ever take a geography take a class? class on gask no no i mean dude yeah we i did but the islands always got me okay no those are the falklands Fal the falcon not to be confused the with the balkans yeah the falcon okay. islands all right anyway what's wrong with the falcon the crowhurst has been at sea for 100 days and from an audio mm. recording he says you look out this wild landscape stretching away as far as the eye can see streaks of spume Blown down the face. I got streaks of spume too, baby, in my oh shower. My <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spume streaks. Oh, excuse me. Spume. Streaks of spume blow down the face of these immense. <laughs> I got goo on her face. Uh, <laughs> I got a face full of paste. Okay, all, all right. right. I see all where right. you're Let's going. Go. Let's go. Streaks of spume blow down the face of these immense waves. And froth white foam, <laughs> sending a great Look flurry of spray and heavy water all over everything. <laughs> what a fucking silver-tongued devil. And it's all, all tremendously exciting and a tremendous challenge, of course. Well, Crowhorse, Crowhorst, excuse me, was drifting off the coast of South America, yeah. preparing a record of his false journey yeah, yeah, yeah. at this point. Uh, Drifting off the you know for far east side of the coast, not like the southern side of the coast. Well, he's chilling gonna, in Brazil. You're, you're gonna find out. He's gonna get a little closer to the coast. Oh, okay. Because he's, he's gonna have to get there. Yeah, now, here's yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So he's not only just preparing a record of the false journey with the logs. He's also doing them with films and audio tapes. 
that would be broadcast on his return. Yeah. Because you don't just come back and Chichester pulls out your logs and says, Oh, uh, mate, it looks clean here. When you're at 45 degrees in 48 minutes, it says uh, you were in the roaring 40s, but there was no um, uh, charted storm during that point. This wow. is very difficult to yeah. pull off what he's doing. So he's going to have the audio tapes and film wow. as well. In two months' time, the race route would bring the other sailors around Cape Horn and past him. So you got to remember, you got Knox Johnston. Yeah. They would have seen him. I don't think they would have seen him, mm. but they're going to be coming that way where he's yeah. hanging out. You mm. got Montessier, yeah. and then you've yeah. got yeah. Tetley. Yep, yep, yep. So he's uh, gaining on them quick, ladies and gentlemen. But his plan at that point is he could slip in behind them and sail for home. Well, we also have to think about this. Yeah. This guy's just chilling now for days. And popping in. Popping, popping again. No, he's, a fal- he's not the falcon. No. He's, he's chilling off the coast of Brazil somewhere. Right. And he's got all day to plan this out. Yeah, but it's still, dude, he has to reverse <clears throat> navigate all this on the other side of the world. It, he doesn't I don't, have access I don't, to those charts. I think you'd be surprised what can happen. You, he's got, he can jump on that radio and start asking other people, hey, what's going on over there in the fucking well, in the Falcon Islands the down there? But here's the thing. All he can do is wait at this time. Okay. So he stopped all radio commutation. Oh, oh, oh. Communication, communication to avoid detection. Yeah. Communication. So at this point, he's off the grid. Got it, got it, got it. All right. Well, Ron, his best friend, says, there you are. You're alone on your boat. Just you in the ocean. It's the whole of your universe. It stretches to the horizon. It's totally indifferent. And it just accentuates the isolation. From the moment... That moment, the time bomb was ticking. He had no longer one enemy, which was the sea. He had himself. This problem of imagination and the delicate mechanism of the mind. Profound. Yeah. Well, we get more um, insight from uh, his logbook. Keeping a sort of watch on sails by night alone, the rigging sighs a sigh of cosmic sorrow for weeping doves that die maybe tomorrow. Okay, this guy's got way too much time on his hands to be writing this shit now. <laughs> on 12... This fucking Edgar Allan Poe over here, dude. <laughs> on 12-7, by 10 to the 5, irradiated olive trees, a sigh to fill man's soul with melancholy. Waves sweep away my melancholy. Bros off the grid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, in the last week of February, Crowhurst discovers he has another problem. Okay. His float splits. Oh, no. He needs help. But he's not where he's supposed to be. He's not in the Southern Ocean where he's telling everybody he last was. He's off the coast of, of Brazil. So he's essentially in a trap that he's put himself in. Mm-hmm. If if he broke radio silence to call for help, his radio transmitter would have given away his true yeah, position. Yeah. So for seven weeks, his family hasn't heard anything. Wow, He's totally silent. Shit. Simon says it just became more and more apparent that something should have been heard by now, and it hadn't been. And people began to fear the worst. You think, well, I didn't stop him, and I should have done. The last night in Tinmouth... He did weep for a long time in our bedroom. I knew that it would be very easy to say, you know, don't go. That's the awful thing, you know. You know you could stop it, and you, 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 
You know that it could be disastrous if you did. It's a bit like children who know that if you squeeze them too tight, they'll do the exact opposite. But you can't ever know at the time which road is going to be the right one. I squeezed my dog too tight one time. He <laughs> shit all over me. <laughs> did he really? Yeah, I was a little child. Well, Simon says that he remembers in Tinmouth shortly before his father set sail, listening in um, the hotels to the sounds of the gales. He says, I hadn't realized before just how dangerous the sea could actually be. And I remember lying in my bed in the hotel and listening to these huge winds and great waves crashing and thinking, that's the sort of weather that he's going to have to be coping with in his boat. Well, we get more log entries from Don. March 4th, immediate problems. One, established visual contact, Rio Salado entrance. 30 miles to repair float. No proper materials. Large sheet ply, screws, glue. Also require oats, meths, rice, and vindaloo paste. Did you just say meths? Yeah. Meths? Is that like like amphetamines? I didn't know what it was either, so I looked it up. Sick. It says methated spirits. Oh. Ooh, sounds like fun. Ethyl alcohol denatured with methyl alcohol for the purpose of preventing its use as alcoholic beverages. Oh, it's like a myopic. It's rubbing alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) You need to fucking rub it out. Yeah, and the vindaloo paste. Yeah. um, That's... It commonly refers to sweet spices like cinnamon, cloves, and cardamom. Okay. Cardamom. I don't know what that is. That's what happens when you're a hot, smoking hot mom and you're trying to buy beer at 7-Eleven. <laughs> Boy. And I thought I had bad ones. <laughs> anyway, along with some heat from black pepper and red chili peppers, there are also the nutty flavors of cumin. By the way, I only pronounce it cumin. And it okay. drives my, my, my family get crazy. So we're, get whenever coming. we're cooking Spanish, whatever, I'll just be like, hey, they coming? And they're just like, will you just stop Some it? Some carne Just stop it. Chili real. Ah, Coriander, mustard, and turmeric. So at least we know what uh, meths and... Um, what was it called? Yeah, Voodoo it paste? Like, <laughs> Vindaloo. Vindaloo paste. Okay. So next we meet a gentleman by the name of Santiago Francese nice. of the Prefectura Naval Argentina. Do you know what cool. that translates to? Mm-mm. Basically the Argentinian Coast Guard. Okay. So Santiago says, I was in charge. Why can't of- they just say fucking uh, Argentinian Coast Guard, huh? He says, I was in charge of the outpost. We saw there was a yacht and a man who was foreign. We didn't understand anything he was trying to say to us. I said to him, uh, Mr., and he indicated that he had broken a float on the yacht. Mm-hmm. He looked like a man who had been at sea a long time. Yeah. He was a bit nervous and distraught. He looked like he lost a lot of weight. He knew what it is like to come into contact with people again. <laughs> and they responded to him with warmth. And yet... Why he didn't telephone home is an overwhelming question. He must have known we were desperate for news, but he didn't. He didn't communicate Mm -hmm. at that stage, which to me was quite a shattering blow. Mm -hmm. So he's already broken the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He went to port. He left left the Falklands or the Papua New Guinea, whatever you want to call it, and went to port in Argentina. Well, Ron says, I think if you were in the real world... At that stage, you would have picked up the telephone and said, look, I've had to stop 
because landing was a flagrant act for disqualification from the race. He was slowly but surely getting himself exposed. He had made his first mistake. That mistake was very likely to be revealed, particularly if the Coast Guards had noted his presence. Santiago says, afterwards, he was in high spirits. I think he got meth some spirits. Yeah. He got some meth spirits. I think he also loaded up on booze. Yeah. Uh, he was happy he could repair his boat and continue his journey. Yeah. So he fixed it, and then he set sail again to the south. Right. Well, Ron says... Probably on the cheap, cheap, too, over there. Ron says, why didn't he stop then? Why did he go back out to sea? I can only assume he was in half in and half out of the real world mm -hmm. at this stage. Mm -hmm. As Crowhurst <clears throat> sailed away from land, the other sailors were coming around the horn and racing north for Europe and home. Montessier had now been alone at sea for nearly six months, and the isolation was beginning to affect him very profoundly. Well, we see uh, uh, Montessier's own footage of Cape Horn. It's amazing. Wow. I don't, I'm not good with distance or anything, yeah. but I'm saying maybe he's a half a mile from the Cape. It wow. looks like, but it's, it's beautiful. But it's I mean, terrifying because yeah. you have these massive waves. Yeah. Well, we hear from archival footage where Montessier is at this point. And he says, after Cape Horn, I felt I knew I did not want to come back. You say it did not seem worth it. I could feel it. I didn't say to anyone. I didn't dare to. What do you mean? What? I hardly dared admit to myself. Oh, is it scary? He's having a crisis of conscience. Yeah. Montessier is. Montessier, yeah. For why, though? I'm going to reveal it to you very slowly. His yeah. wife says he should have been crazy with delight and having message to sail around the world by himself. All he had to do now was return to England, but he was terrified of returning to the crowds, the journalists. No It was way. the crowds that really alarmed him. He was really a loner. <clears throat> so he liked it out there. He did. This is probably my the most fascinating part of the doc Whoa. for me. So we see more vintage film of him, and he's look at peace on the yacht. Yeah, around the world without stopping, a month alone, completely alone. You cannot hold a Frenchman down. With all he that, must sail the seas and not go it. home and fuck the same pussy. You got it. With all that it entails, it had never been done before. Everything revolved around the word alone. The nervous tension, the food, the exhaustion, my whole look. Things which mattered at the start did not matter at all. The rules of the gum had changed. <laughs> the rules within me had changed. Well, we see he was shooting film too, and he sets a, a, a shot of him reading a book on the starboard side of the boat. And then all of a sudden, he stands up and he just walks off the boat huh. and disappears. Wow. Just kidding. He didn't do that. Okay. I mean, I wouldn't have thought forever. No. I just thought it would have been a cool cinematic thing. No. Okay. So it's April 1969 now. 159 Giggity. days at sea for Crowhurst. Yeah. And this is when it gets dark. Okay. There's a video of him and he's got booze in his hand and he's like, I'm drunk. <laughs> you suck him. You old silly circum, you're as drunk as a circumnavigator can be. Hey, I'll tell you something. I think the director general of the BBC is probably slipping some buckshot into his 12 ball, as it were. 
Oh, why should I worry? <laughs> He's giving this lunatic cross a tape recorder. Yeah, it's 74,000 miles of tape. What can he do? He's got to deliver a load of gibberish in order to fill up the space, matey. Do you see? But I think I'll just have another little swig of this bottle here. <laughs> He's fucking just wasted. Love it. Well, for Crowhurst, after four months, the waiting was coming to an end. Yeah. And like Montissier, uh, the prospect of his return was troubling him, obviously. Within days, the route of his fake voyage would come past his actual position. He had to plan how and where to rejoin the race and when to break radio silence. Above all, he had to prepare the written evidence of circumnavigation. Yeah. Now, Donald Kerr, he says once he'd arrived successfully, the panel of judges would want to see the logbooks. They'd want proof that he'd been around the world. He would have to fake his position for every day he was supposed to be in the Southern Ocean. Yep. That was an amazingly difficult thing to do. Well, Ron says that would create enormous pressure. He might think, well, I don't think I can go through with it. By this stage... I think Don genuinely felt that winning the race wasn't part of the plot. Mm. All he wanted, really, was to come home quietly as the man who came in fourth. Nobody wants to see their logbooks. Not too much scrutiny. The interest in them wouldn't last long. Don was very much at risk in his game here. Yeah. But he just wanted to go back. He was coming home. Well, we see another telegram from Crowhurst. Heading Digger Ramrez, what's new ocean bashing-wise? Wow. Well, the guys back in the office at the paper, they're like, one morning, Rodney calls in this uh, office and says, oh, he's back. And I said, oh, who's back? And it was, don't Crowhurst is back. Uh-oh. There's a phone call from Porter's <laughs> Head saying Crowhurst is back on the air. Great band, by the way. Porter's Head. Never listened to him. No, neither did I, actually. No, no, I did, actually. No, I never Dummy. listened. Dummy. I never listened oh, to that Oh, that Port album. Which one is like a famous Porter's Head song? Dun. I can't do it okay, off the top of my Thank head. God. Nobody loves me. No. But you. No, no. Next. Next is fine. Yes. I, I believe you. It's true. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Rodney Howell found me very early one morning. He said, my face is covered with shaving cream, but I've had a message from Donald saying he's safe and well and on his way home. I love it. Well, we see vintage news of Claire because the press is jumping on this. Yeah. They're like, where's the Crowhurst been? <clears throat> so they send over people to her house. And she's like, I don't know. She even talked like this back then. Yeah. A little not as dr dramatic. I don't know. I just don't know Thank what God. to do. Quite frankly, I'm stunned. I thought that what I heard, I would go absolutely crazy and I would go off and buy lots of champagne and, you know, do all sorts <laughs> of mod things. <clears throat> yeah. But at the Fuck moment, I think I just want to keep the news to myself and sort of absorb it before I completely lose my head. That feeling that the whole Six world... Fuck, I already thought he was dead. Wasn't, ...was different didn't matter there wasn't enough money for this or that you know everything was different all of a sudden then we go back to young claire then i picked up the telephone to tell a friend and suddenly i was absolutely overwhelmed i couldn't talk for a long time well simon says it was as if a switch had been thrown 
Suddenly, this elation. Not only was he alive, but he's actually in it. Yeah. Still very much in the competition. Mm -hmm. Well, we see an old film of Crowhurst at home, and someone's hanging a picture of Donald's boat above the fireplace in front of the children. Wow. You know, Ted Hines is like, oh, faith is deserved. He's back with us. Well, as Crowhurst turned for home, he slipped behind Nigel Tetley, who passed just 100 miles to the east of him. Mm. So everyone believed Motessier was ahead of them chasing Robert Knox to the finish until a message arrived in Paris. Oh, shit. Montessier's wife. It took him half a day to make up his mind. And that was the end of it. He said to me, we shall meet again later. No, what a fucking G, dude. Yep. After seven months at sea and barely was six... Was his wife hot? She's okay. Uh-huh. He could do better though, right? No, no. She was... She, she's a good looking girl. Okay. So after seven that months... sounded pretty hard for a fucking man that just sailed around the world. But here's the thing. He's seven months at sea. He's got three months to get home. Because he's, he's already rounded the horn. Yeah. And he decides, I'm just going to keep sailing, dude. Yeah, man. I'm going to do it again. Whoa. That's fucking amazing, right? I guess. I mean, <clears throat> he's not in it for the glory. He doesn't give a fuck about the money. I think he's... He doesn't want to be around his wife. Yeah, yeah. He, that's exactly what it is. Does he have kids? Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. He's like, hey, I could just leave him. So he says... I didn't know how to explain to Francois and the children my need to continue towards the Pacific, to be at peace. I know I am right. I felt it deeply. I knew exactly where I was going. How could they understand that? It is so simple, but it cannot be explained in words. Yeah, it's called abandoning your family. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know we're all the good pussies. He, he, he might even be a felon. Like, who the fuck knows? So, yeah. But this, again, blows me away. It's my favorite part of the film. Imagine they're all just faking it. Even like, he got to the horn and he's like, I don't know. Whatever. But think about that, man. You're out there for seven months and yeah. you're just like, I'm going to do it again. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. I mean, I mean that was blows. he fishing? Like, what was he, how's he getting food? He's he's stocked up on sardines. He's got rations. He yeah. can fish off the boat if he wants yeah. to. But just being in that here's the here's why I think this is amazing. I think at heart we all have a dream in the back of our minds. Well, I do anyway, to disappear. And Should've either gone on that submarine with everybody to go see the Titanic. Either go off the grid or people say the term all the time, chuck it all away and go in a sailboat. This guy mm -hmm. did that. To the most extreme degree. But he's already a sailor. Here's the thing, though. There's a difference between sailing and getting away for a weekend or a month. This guy he's, doesn't strike me as the, the guy that did that. He strikes me as a guy that was going for months at a time anyway, or a couple months, at like a month yeah, at a time. Yeah, but now he's basically saying, I'm going to be doing this for almost two years. Yeah. That's, that's I think, everybody's... No, a little more than a year. No, seven seven months? months, and he's got to do it Two again. Twice, Fourteen months. Okay, but that's only going to get him to the Cape again. He still well, has just, to go up. I'm just saying. So that let's like, assume he, he keeps the same course. Yeah, By the time I, he gets home, it's going to be eighteen months. I, I, okay, yeah, that's yeah, okay. almost two years. That, okay, fair, fair enough, fair enough. So, anyway, Bernard continues. The pictures of my children blur before my eyes, though God knows I love them. Well, she says this is his wife. I was expecting something. I knew him too well. My daughter cried for three days and three nights. She said to me, Mommy, what are you going to do? I said, we shall carry on with life. 
before the voyage, but not getting that fucking that telegram. That's what I'm saying. I think you're underestimating how fucking crazy this is. Oh, it's I'm not saying it's not crazy. I'm just looking at it from the guy's point of view. It's like, I mean, I'd rather stay on the fucking boat than uh, than go, you know, be at home do, with kids and yeah. be a parent. Yeah. Well, he says anyone who does this race for money or fame will come to grief. He was happy at sea. He was content. He found himself. Well, it's now April 22nd, 1969. Morning of Tuesday, April 22nd. Plymouth awaits its arrival for Robin Knox Johnson above his 32-foot catch, Suhali. Now only a few days away from the finish, where he'll become the first man to sail around the world on his own non-stop, a journey which has lasted 312 days. Wow. The crowds now pouring all around the Cornwall coast. Binoculars and telescopes are out. As the bowels cross the line, a cannon shall be fired, and the voyage will be over. There he is, folks. Look at his smile. He is very much enjoying this. American, this is tremendous. Right? American? Uh, who? Knox Johnson? Yeah. No, he's British. Oh, British also. Okay, my bad. Yeah, he was no Merchant Americans. Marine, though. No. Oh, who was the Merchant Marine? Uh, I don't remember. Oh, it's not a big deal. Anyway. And the cannon is gone, and Robin <laughs> Knox Johnson and Suhali have sailed nonstop around the world. It is official, folks. It is official. Well, Knox Johnson comes into port, and he says it was all a bit of a dream. You look at all these people and say, I've done this. This thing that people said you could not do, well, I've done it now. I don't have to come, yell, scream, shout about it. It's inside. Robert Knox Johnson, there he is, folks, came out of the balcony to acknowledge the cheer. He's the first ever to round the world alone nonstop. He's averaged 92 miles a day on this marathon voyage. It's not enough to win him the cash prize for fastest time because Nigel Tetley and Donald Crowhurst are still battling it out in the yeah. Atlantic. So you see what this has done to the uh -huh. Hearst. Uh-huh. I know. Well, now know. all eyes. He's like, I got it. Now all how many, eyes. Does it say how many days he's behind? Um, we already know that. He was behind a full six months. Well, no, 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 no. Oh, no. days? I mean, the, at this we point, don't know the, the fastest. Exact days. Yeah, the fastest. Well, yeah, he... I, you'll get to it. Let yeah, me we're get like to we're it. getting to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean it's gotta be fucking record-breaking time compared to these guys. Well, Ron says. And I'm, I'm sorry, but did we ever? Do they ever get to like the specs of each boat by any chance? Oh yeah, yeah. We're gonna cover that next. Okay, episode. great, 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 great. Um, I'm really interested about that shit. Well, all eyes now turned, of course, to the fastest voyage winner, and whoever was to win that portion of the race was going to literally become the most famous man in Britain. Interesting. These fucking guys take sailing very seriously. Yeah, the fastest. How'd you do it? So Ron <laughs> says, "Well, right, the game playing is over. We're back to real life now. How are we gonna match the two? Not a very easy thing to do. Whilst he was out on his own, that's one thing, but he has now got to continue playing this character. He's got a role to play, and he mustn't drop a line." Well, this is Crowhurst, and this is archival video and audio footage. I think my effort will be faster than Chichester's and should be quite fast enough to give me the Sunday Times race, so I'm feeling, I'm feeling fairly bucked, fairly chuffed with myself. Mm -hmm. Well, Simon says the whole plan in reality, depending on Tetley coming in first with the fastest circumnavigation, that's what the whole thing depended on. Then his notebooks would 
be closely examined. While Crowhurst, they're not going to care and look at him. He's just going to be a runner-up. Okay? Right. So the idea is just let Tetley win the race. Yeah. Because then you don't have to worry. You're going to come in second, even though you're saying you're besting Robert Knox's Knox Johnson's time. All the attention is going to go to the Tetster. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So this guy's had a long time to think about this. A lot of time. Yeah. Well, Ted Hines says he was going stroll and it was looking great. Then we got the telegram that there's no chance of catching Tedley. Yeah. Well, we see a telegram and it says going well for these parts, no chance to overtake Tetley. So in my mind, that that's constructed. He's constructed in his mind. Right. I'm not going to try so to that win you have things. like a couple days to like you have like the media cycle first of all. Yes. <clears throat> they're going to get a hold of it. They're going to have Tetley. They're not going to worry about this guy. Mm-hmm. They're going to give him some pomp and circumstance. His kids will be happy. Maybe he makes a couple bucks out of it. Yeah. And in the end, nobody really scrutinizes anything or this and that. And you 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 uh you patch this off as uh ah, I don't know, I was crazy. Who knows what the fuck happened? No, I mean, I did my best. I came in second. You know, with uh, fastest time, that's yeah. still pretty impressive. But yeah. just don't look at my logbooks, please. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> Ted says we're thinking disappointment, but not devastation. As far as we're concerned, our boy had done good. He's gone through some of the loneliest, toughest seas in the world. Even the most skeptical folk are saying he's coming good and fair play to it. It was bloody marvelous. And then suddenly, out of the blue, <clears throat> yeah. Just suddenly out of the blue, blue. Tetley sunk. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Tetley is almost home. Oh, shit. Like, no. Yeah. So Fertilizer bomb? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, shit. So now there's only two people left that can only complete oh, the race. Fuck. And two people that can co- compete for fastest time. And so he, does, he doesn't know. He does know. Oh, fuck. So so he's got to make up something. We heard Nigel <laughs> Tetley had been rescued. I heard that before. I heard that his bell had gone down. But he, he survived, though. Tetley. Here's what happened with Tetley. <clears throat> he's got a great shot. His boat went down, and then he got in. How, like, what is, how, though? What does it say? We'll get to it. Oh, sorry, sorry. We see Tetley's picture of... Uh, <sighs> Of an ocean Man. liner coming to save him. Okay, and he his, he's already his boat's already gone. He was yeah. in a dinghy. No. So wow. Ron at this point says, "Well, that finished it. Basically, he was going to win." Oh my god! Donald was not a stupid <laughs> okay. man. Jesus. He knew what it would mean. He couldn't glide into port and fade away. He knew that everything would be scrutinized. <laughs> Ron says, there was going to be a committee at reception. Everything would be verified. Well, we we know this is going to happen because they did the same thing to Chester. Yeah. And you hear these people saying, what do you think about when you went around the horn? Tell us about some problems that you had on the voyage. Could you do it again? Well, Don knew very well that it would be and end up in total humiliation. That's not an option you go through. And he's running out of options by now. Probably booze is my suspecting. Anyway, this is when things get really fucking dark. Yeah. Dark. Okay. Yeah. All right. We hear from his logbook. Mm -hmm. 
When I was five years old. Ah, uh, don't tell me we're going two sueys in a row here. I knew all about God. He was an old man who yeah, would boy. punish me if I was naughty. Oh, By the time I was 20, I decided there was no reason to expect nah, this guy's assistance too much, from God. This guy's too much of a coward to kill himself. If he existed at all. Okay. Man was evading his responsibility by constantly looking to God for assistance. The cosmic integral, the sum of man, adds up to nothing. <laughs> well, he okay. write, they show his logbook. There's yeah. an equation. It says man and then the equal sign. And then zero minus zero. Homeboy's Sick. working on some complex mathematical Yo, equations. Man equals zero, doggy. <laughs> so, no, man equals zero minus zero. Which is zero. Yeah. Solve the equation. Well, in the days after Tetley's sinking, Crowhurst repeatedly tried to get a call through to Claire, but his radio transmitter failed. The transmitter failing at that point was something that plagued him. He became almost obsessed with fixing it. Yeah, because now he's got to say his last words before he can't come home. Through archival audio recordings that Crowhurst took, we see him attempting to use the radio, and it goes like this. Mike, Zulu, uniform, whiskey, calling, GPC, three. I have had nothing. I have had nothing. I think he just wanted human contact that he felt would be warm and responsive, whatever he had to say. Join the club, honey. <clears throat> so she does. She believes him still, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> My, so so her, her recordings right now, when are these recordings taking place that she's talking right now? To, in, the, in the film. B present. Which is what, 2018? Or, 2006. 2006, okay. Yeah. Mike, Zulu, uniform whiskey, calling Mike. Zulu uniform. He could have trusted me, but there was nothing oh, he could no, do. Oh, no. Well, we get more of Don's personal audio archives. These are close similarities. There are close similarities between sailing a small boat and living. <laughs> you start off unprepared, a long journey ahead of you that you think will never end. And you go through a series of triumphs and disasters. Okay, well, you could say that about sailing on a larger boat also, stupid. And suddenly you realize that's what's done is done. The mistakes you've made stand forever. Okay. Well, we see newspaper headlines. <laughs> well done, Donald. Around the moon, over the earth, around the seas, Donald Crowhurst for success. Welcome back, Donald. You got to remember... People are thrilled. They don't. Yeah, they don't know. To come, they think he's he's going to win. Up yeah, because the tester got Tester's sunk. Tester's done, dude. Sunken. There were a hundred thousand people. No. Yes. Holy shit. I'm telling you, man. These Brits are serious about Whoa, fucking sailing. Oh fuck. I mean, I guess in the hundred thousand people are there to say hello to you. That was a moonwalk. There was going to be a razzmatazz, <laughs> according to Ted Hines. Oh yeah. There would be triumphal processions. Yeah. It was euphoric. He will be knighted for sure. This almost outdoes Chichester. Yeah. Well, he's on the front page of every newspaper because they're expecting him any time. We're hoping this will be a great gala oh, affair. God. Newspapermen from abroad have all booked hotels. Over a thousand arrangements have been made to welcome him home. It was beginning to build up very lovely. It was so close to the end. Everybody was in such high spirits. All of a sudden, 
Everything was all right. His dream, it was there. It was going to come true. Everything a hero could want. But he knew it was false. Well, on Tuesday, the 24th of June, Crowhurst turned away from England and let his boat drift through the weed-infested waters of the Mid-Atlantic Sargasso Sea. Okay. You know what the Sargasso Sea is? No. That's in the middle of the weed? Are they weed-infested? There, there are these massive pieces of seaweed that come to yeah. the surface, yeah. and they can actually trap boats. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this is when he opens up his logbook and begins to write what he called his philosophy. Mm-hmm. It's now June 1969, and he's been at sea for 237 days. Mm. These are excerpts from his log. The explanation of our troubles is that cosmic beings are playing games with us. During his lifetime, each man plays cosmic chess against the devil. God is playing with one set of rules and the devil with the other. Exactly opposite set of rules. The shameful secret of God, the trick he used, because the truth would hurt too much, is that there is no good or evil, only truth. So he's talking about flat earth, obviously. (laughs) I don't think he knows what What? he's talking about. What are you talking about? I mean, it sounds like he's talking about, he's like, these Americans, Homeboys lost his fucking mind, bro. These stupid Americans think they went to the moon. Nah, flat earth's flat. We're going to get to the moon in this episode. Oh, nice. He was in the most extraordinary feeling of, I failed everything. There was nobody there to talk to. He tried to complicate ways of dealing with this race and the money and the family back home. And eventually his brain said, enough, no more. This is more from his log. Mm -hmm. Do we go on clinging to the idea that God made us or realize that it lies within us to make God? By learning to manipulate the space-time continuum, <laughs> man will become God and disappear from the physical universe as we Yo, know it. Facts. Based as fuck. Somehow he had just given up on his family. We had vanished from his mind at that stage. Well, the reporters are now going to Crowhurst's wife and they're like, Mrs. Crowhurst, unless he sinks, your husband is going to win 5,000 for the fastest time. That well, was 8,000. No, it's 5,000 pounds. Huh. What will this mean to you and your family? And she says, very little change in our way of living, I should think. Um, he won't sink, I don't think. Hmm. I have become a second generation cosmic being. <laughs> I am conceived <laughs> in the womb uh, of nature. In my own mind, in the womb of the universe. Now, Mrs. Crowhurst, you told me um, you haven't had any fears during the voyage, but what about when he returns? Yes, I'm a bit concerned about the change of personality. Mm, I think it's inevitable that he will be a different person, someone who's faced every day as though it was a new danger and a new feeling of excitement. The thousand fathom stare. I was faced to admit that nature forces on cosmic beings the only sin they are capable of, the sin of concealment. Is it a small sin for a man to commit? But it is a terrible sin for a cosmic being. Well, this is Ron jumping in. He's totally living in his eternal world. He's invented in his mind a relationship between him and the universe. 
He's found <laughs> refuge there. <laughs> this guy's I like how this guy's like the, the best friend. The, he is the speaker. Yeah. I am what I am, and I see the nature of my offense. I will only resign this game if you will agree that on the next occasion this game is played, it will be played according to the rules that are devised by my great God. It is finished. It is finished. It is the mercy. Eleven hours, fifteen minutes, no seconds. It is the end of my game. The truth has been revealed, and it will be done as my family require me to do it. Eleven hours, twenty minutes, forty seconds. There is no reason for harmful. That's it. It just, that's the last entry in the logbook. Mm. I'd been out for a walk, and I came back with the dog. My sister was with the children, and she said the boat's been found. No. Then I became aware you, there was We several, did two in a row like this? Well, Jesus there Christ, man. There were complete strangers on the front lawn and a couple of police cars. Just my instant reaction was, get the children out of here. Aw, oh, man. <laughs> you can imagine the atmosphere, the feeling of shock. Claire didn't feel she had the courage at the time to tell the children. So I went up. This is Ron, his best friend. And Simon says, my father's boat had been found, but he wasn't in it. Mm. It was so different from the homecoming that we'd expected. Ah, man. It was just like, this is the wrong story. Nah. This this isn't what's supposed to be happening. Ah, this I can't gonna, be. I'm going to do this two weeks. Well, it's now July 16th, 1969. Now, if that date sounds vaguely familiar. That's yeah, the moon should. landing. Well, it was four days before the moon Whatever. landing. Whatever. Now, to put some perspective in this. Yeah. <clears throat> overshadowed already during this race apollo 8 9 10 and 11 launched were all accomplished during this race yeah. just to give you some perspective fake, fake falsely accomplished <laughs> a british cargo ship found crowhurst boat drifting in the well no island. 12 8 <clears throat> oh which ones 8 9 9 and 10 for sure and 11 well, because 11 11 is, 11 is the moon one right so I think eight was going on while it started. Yeah, twelve is the disaster. And that's thirteen, actually. No, no, no. She, that. No, no, no. Thirteen was a disaster. No, twelve yeah. was a disaster. Also, twelve was the the fire inside the cockpit. No, it was thirteen. No, thirteen was Apollo thirteen. That's the one that go that went, almost got to the moon and came back. Yeah, yeah. That was the disaster. No, the disaster was pre previous <laughs> Apollo twelve. Blow like didn't didn't they blow? Okay, the movie that Tom Hanks is in. Yeah, that's Apollo 13. thirteen. That was the disaster. Isn't which one is the one where the fire? There was a fire that happened in one of the Apollos that he oh, references. You're, you're talking. Six, I thought that was twelve. No, no you're talking Apollo about twelve. No, no, no. You're talking okay. about sixty four with Gus, Gus Grissom in mm, the hatch. That's what Apollo six. No, no, no. It was, it was like I don't even think it was Apollo. It was Gemini. Yeah, they wouldn't even if yeah. if there was a fire in Apollo, they wouldn't have no. kept going with Apollo. No, you're no, right. No, no. Okay, that's when they stopped Apollo 13. Like, they stop it on the tragedy. If there's a tragedy, they change <laughs> they the name. They change the name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, good point, good point. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, that was Gus Grissom, uh, Chaffee, and I mean, the one of them. No, I mean, escaping. whatever. We no, I mean, Apollo we should. 13. No, I know, but I mean, don't forget, there's no Apollo 13 without, you know, uh, Gemini and Mercury. These no, guys, no, of course, of course, of course. All of course. these guys are 
You fake, know. yeah, <laughs> fake shills, government shills. Look it up sure. for me. Who was on? Uh, who was on? Because it was Gus Grissom, uh, Robert. We're talking Chaffee, about Apollo thirteen. And no, we're not talking about a which we're, one. We're talking about Gemini. Just Google oh, Gemini, Gus Grissom. The ones that died. Yeah. Oh, Gem. Yeah, Gemini. Um, death. Ju- Virgil, Virgil Gus Grissom. Um, Robert Chaffee. Space. Another dude. Just type in uh, Gemini oh. Explosion. <laughs> Now yeah, we're back. <laughs> yeah, we had to look it up real quick. It was Apollo One, actually. So yes, um, Gus Grisham, Grissom, Grissom, yeah. uh, Edward White the second. Yeah, that's who I couldn't remember. And Roger Chaffee. Yeah, Roger B. Chaffee. Roger so, B. Chaffee. So they don't rename them if something goes. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> dude, especially the first. Well, all that means is like, yeah, the first Apollo fight was like, um, yeah, well, you know, we can't get to the moon, so let's just. Uh, Let's just burn this up right here, right now. Well, for those that don't know the story, they couldn't get out the hatch. Of the hatch, yeah. The hatch was sealed, and there was an electrical fire, and mm-hmm. that's how they perished. Mm-hmm. So anyway, let's get back to our story. So a cargo ship finds Crowhurst's boat drifting in the mid-Atlantic, 700 miles from land. A surprise development tonight over the missing yachtsman, Donald Crowhurst. Crowhurst trimaran, 10 Tinmouth Electron was found drifting and deserted. He'd been a competitor on the Round the World Yacht Race organized by the Sunday Times. The pale blue weather-beaten trimaran, which a, a certain uh, win- which was a certain winner of the race, was in good condition. The mystery of his disappearance, therefore, is still inexplicable. Yeah. The film and his tape recordings may provide other clues, but for the moment... So they knew right away. No, they didn't. Oh, wow. But for the moment, this lonely yacht, without her lonely captain, is not giving up any of her secrets. Hmm. Now, I saw this, and I was like, I can't believe he left those films and audio, Okay. That would be the first thing I throw overboard when I'm talking about man and God. Yeah. I'm going to be like, I'm going to leave this one a fucking mystery for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when the boat was brought ashore in the Caribbean, uh, Crowhurst press agent Rodney Hallsworth was there to meet it. I went into the captain's cabin, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I remember saying to him that, uh, I don't suppose Captain will ever know this, how this saga ends, this riddle. And I uh, thought his face dropped a little, and he said, Well, I think we do, Mr. Hallworth. And he led me over to his desk, and he unlocked a drawer, and he took out the locks. We decided there and then that we would never tell anybody for the rest of our lives what had happened in the last hours of Crowhurst's life. Ah, well, that's bullshit. Oh. because in fact, Hallworth had already sold the logbooks <laughs> <laughs> to a London oh, newspaper. Piece of shit. And piece by piece, the truth of Donald Crowhurst's voyage was uncovered. Now, yeah, I don't blame this guy. No, okay, you had a mouthful of lead. These newspapermen guys walk around with black ink on their fucking hands yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to make your money. Yeah. Well. Claire had a problem with it. Uh, Rod- of course. Rodney Hallsworth stumbled through the front door, and while I was sort of staring in amazement, he said, Donald didn't sail around the world. He committed suicide. Ah, uh, what a piece of and shit. And I think that is the most appalling thing to do to anyone. I will never forget those words, but that was Hallsworth. Well, you see all the people that were back at uh, Tinmouth. They're taking down the welcome. Oh, uh, no. Signs. 
And Ted Hines, who's Hallsworth's deputy, says, no one likes to be conned. We were sharp newspapermen, and he uh, conned us. Yeah. Uh, he kippered us. Yeah. Hung us out like kipper. Okay. You know what kipper me is? Um, kipper it's herring, Dave. Oh, fish. Yeah, don't kipper me, Dave. Why don't they just say herring? Uh, I don't know, because they're Brits. Well, one of the reporters, he says, for me, it's all one regret. Yeah. I never did speak to Clara again. Oh, I well, yeah. Fucking, it's a pussy-ass move to say some some, some lady. Yeah, that's not the same reporter. Oh, this that me hard. Oh, my bad, it. my bad, okay. But he says, I couldn't face her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt I was party to it in a way. We were all party to it. <sighs> if only I had said, don't go, Donald. It's crazy. I should have said that. Well, Simon says he made the wrong decisions. In a way, he turned the initial difficulties into something much worse, into a disaster for himself and for the rest of us. But he was trying to do his best and trying to get back to us. I can't believe there's a whole second half to this. And that's all he could do. Yeah. And he starts crying. Of course. I'm almost crying. Well, there isn't a second half. We're going to finish today's... Um, the movie in its entire yeah, yeah yeah next week yeah. is all of the interesting yeah fans. i wanted that stuff well that's i this decided is dark. you did you fucking sued me two weeks in a row i know scummy. but i didn't want to leave this people on a cliffhanger yeah. and there's so much detail yeah. about the 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 minutiae yeah, we're gonna have, we have some fun down. next week then. so we're, we'll, we're, have, we'll have some fun next but, week but yes readers you're going to get the uh, yeah. listeners you're going to get the complete film story this week nice. and i think it would be beneficial yeah if in that time if you wish to, you can watch the documentary, yeah. and then we can discuss all the interesting facts and certainly um, ask some questions too. Um, between yeah. now and then, exactly. So anyway, yeah, one day because we're filming on, on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But <laughs> you got thirty hours. You got twenty, ten, not even ten hours. <laughs> um, so Claire says everything angered me at the time. Anger just boiled over, and I blamed everyone and everything. I felt that I failed. I didn't stop him from going, and I didn't help him when he needed it. But I people have sucked his dick a little more. But people his need. Pecker. But people need to dream. I think Donald <laughs> needed that, and he had a right to have it. Yeah. Well, this is Ron. Okay. The crowd criticized him. The crowd mocked him, and I didn't want that to happen. When somebody has risked and failed, and when somebody has fallen from the tightrope they've been walking on, yeah, someone has to pick them up and give them a burial. Yeah, he starts tearing up here. Of course, the best thing is that a friend should do that. Yeah, Don wanted to make a success of his life, and he was a bad friend. He just wanted to see a bright future for himself and yeah. his family. In yeah. my mind, I gave him a hero's burial. That's good. Well, that's how we fade out. Okay. Of the nine men who set out, okay. Robin Knox Johnston was the only one to finish. Wow. He donated. Wow. His, Maybe he cheated. He donated his 5,000 cash prize to the Crowhurst family. Oh, that's nice of him. He did that before he knew anything that had happened. Do you think he cheated? No, I don't. Okay. He's got well, he's, everything's well documented for oh, him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he had a much, he had a sick boat, I'm assuming. We're going to get into the boats Damn, next I want to see the boats next week, man. So, I want to know the prices, everything. Bernard Montissier finally ended his voyage in Tahiti. 
<laughs> of course he did. After 10 months at sea, okay. he had sailed 45,000 miles and halfway wow. around the world again. Gangster. Now, today, Crowher's boat lies abandoned on the Caribbean island of Cayman Brock. Okay, I might have seen this before then. Mm -hmm. Holy shit. His body was never Holy found. Holy shit, dude. And the film ends with a static shot of his boat that is still sitting on the Cayman yeah, Islands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that, actually. Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. Because, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some people who have gone see that, I guess, in the Cayman Islands. It's, I mean, oh shit, that's crazy. Wow, I never put we'll that get together. into the history of nice. what happened to his boat cool. afterwards yeah. on next week's episode. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, but for me, this doc is very personal to me because, as I mentioned before, I have you're a that, loner, I am a loner, and I also have the dream of chucking around the world. <laughs> it's a fantasy, yeah, and leave me it all behind. And I used to sail, and we'll get into that next week. Really, episode. yep, oh, I used to sail, sail on a schooner, and um, I you see believe, a lot of splooge out there. <laughs> spume, 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 spume. I believe that everyone deep down inside has a desire, or at least fantasizes, about disappearing. Mm -hmm. Um, I have that me, fantasy about my mother. Yes, for me, it's usually in a small town in America, uh -huh. and I can picture myself mm -hmm. living above uh, a corner bar. Mm -hmm. And nobody knows where I am. <laughs> and uh, I talk to people and I see them, but they don't know who I really am or where I'm from. Yeah. And it's one fantasy that I like to revisit a lot. Oh. And at the end of the day, I realize it's it's almost an impossibility because I have, you know. Cats. I've got cats. Okay. <laughs> Trust me. We all wish it would happen, Chris. <laughs> I, have, I have cats. I yeah. have a career. I have a business. Yes, yes. Um, and you a podcast. I have a podcast. That's going to be doing you. video soon. Oh, you're not supposed to tell everybody. What? If they've listened this long, they can hear. Uh, Dave does uh, did just blow uh, a big reveal. Um, we're hoping um, by episode 53 that we will be up and running for your visual delight as well as your audio delight. Giggity. So exciting uh, stuff happening. Um, but to to tell you how much this film means to me is is special because mm -hmm. I do revisit it often. Uh, it is without a doubt a four star film. Nice and four dockings. Uh, four dockings, and I hope you take the chance, not just you, mm -hmm. Dave, but our listeners, mm -hmm. to watch this. Right, it is a visual treat, um, and it's also the irony of what this man goes through. Yeah, to to somehow come up and scheme with ways to get back home. Yeah. And then, almost, of course, everything succeed. is going according to plan. And then Tetley sunk. Yeah, and he's his life literally turned on a dime. Yeah. Because he would have gone back. Yeah. Because he wouldn't have been a winner. Yeah. He would have taken third place. Yeah. Second place for time. Mm -hmm. But he could have just lived with that. And, you know, he probably could have pulled it off. Yeah. But because probably. of that... But here's the other thing that's very crucial. Tetley only started to push the boat faster. Oh, because of him. Because of him. And then he blew a load. His boat, Tetley's boat, um, was pushing so hard because he was worried that Crowhurst was on his tail. Yeah. So 
in a way, he's almost responsible for Tetley's death as well. Oh, Tetley died? No, he didn't die. Motherfucker. <laughs> Just if you're paying attention. Piece of shit, dude. But he could have been responsible. I, was, I thought you were going to do some kind of motherfucker. No. All right, go on. So it's very yeah, fascinating. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. that old thing of like one domino knocks another one down. And then that knocks two. Now I want to know one. what's happening with Tetley's life after all that. We're going to get into everybody. And then like that $5,000 would have done for him if he would have known. Maybe we're going to get in next week to what every er, yeah, what, yeah, what yeah. happened to everybody. Yeah. Because yeah. this documentary tells a great story of Crowhurst mm -hmm. and Tetley and Knox Johnson. And of course, Motissier, who's yeah. my hero. But Pig. there is a lot more that it doesn't discuss about the individual race, which yeah. we will get into nice. next week. I but love it. We will leave you... Um, uh, with that until next week. Now, Dave, if you don't mind, can you tell our yes. wonderful listenership who this week's podcast was sponsored by? This week's episode of Down on the Docks is brought to you by Broccoli Farms, established in 2016 San Diego, California, by cannabis entrepreneur Anthony Bird. Broccoli Farms is a modern take on cannabis brands around the world. By combining new terminology involving cannabis worldwide, Anthony created a <laughs> cannabis brand that uniquely represents the entire cannabis industry as one. Broccoli Farms. Are you sure it's not cannabis industry has four, maybe? The lowest delivery minimum in San Diego. Fair prices and quality products makes Broccoli Farms one of the best deliveries in San Diego for almost a decade. Be sure to mention, we got to change that to a decade pretty yeah. soon. Yeah, good point. <laughs> Be sure to mention Down on the Docks podcast for 15% off your next order, along with first-time patient gifts and rewards. Fuck that pussy. <laughs> Check them out today on Instagram at Broccoli Farm 619 and Daves.Sarah on and Instagram. If you want to find us on Twitter, it's Down on the Docks. And of course, if you want to find us on Instagram, it's Down on the Docks Pod. And uh, I'll never Send stop Send us an asking. email. On, uh, email. Send us an email. Down on the Docks at gmail.com. And most importantly, please leave us a five-star review on Apple. Now, here's the thing. Let's say you are a Spotify listener. Yeah. Grab your little niece Dude. or nephew's phone. <laughs> Play an episode, yeah, and then you go in there and say, "Dave, Sarah, sucks. good douche, <laughs> good douche." Yeah, name the waters, Papa. Oh, perfect for this show. You your name buddy, the waters. Your, on your boy made it to the front page of TFK. Uh, nobody like, knows what that means okay. except for two people, and we like to keep it that oh, way. Yeah, That's baby. a wrap. We will see you next week for episode what number, Dave? Forty-eight. Yep. And now that you let the cat out of the bag, that gives us how many episodes until we have to be on video? Four more after that. You think you can pull that off in time? I think we can. All right. Well, hopefully we will all see you shortly. And until then, we will. Uh, you'll be listening to us in the, the uh, audio world. Yes. Anyway, that's a wrap. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful week.